Yes, go for it. I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm gonna ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Yeah! What's going on guys, my name is Aldenero and welcome to episode 61 of the Midnight Hour. I'm joined today by Jack. As always, forever and always. Yeah. Yeah, um, nothing to change. We're going to be talking about creepy fairy tales today. Um, I want to start this episode off by saying that last night slash early this morning I had the second instance in my life of sleep paralysis. It happened again. And it's definitely the weirdest, trippiest thing, like, possible. It's so fucking scary. Um, I feel like I experienced it, like, on a much more amplified level than I did the, the first time. Um, it felt a lot more eerie and stuff. Um, so my bed faces my bedroom door. And I sort of woke up, essentially, in... Um, it, it felt like it was about four o'clock or so. And the light was on in the hall and my door was open and someone was closing my door. And I thought to myself, well, that's great. I don't know how I fell asleep with the door open, but I'm glad that someone's closing mm. it. And the, the person who was closing it stepped into my room and then closed it and turned oh, around. And they were wearing um, like a blue like corporate shirt. And mm. their face was not really visible, but their arms were in some weird sort of crab-like state. Like they were up. Like, okay. As if if you have your hands on your shoulders and then you've just got your elbows sticking out, like. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, and it started crawling onto my bed, like oh, and fuck its that. mouth was foaming and everything, and I couldn't move at all, and I was screaming, but I was actually I was actually making a noise that was like, like just like the only thing that I could do was like, mm, and like I was trying to scream, <laughs> yeah. and that was the only noise that would come out. And it was incredibly harrowing and terrifying. And eventually I remembered reading, like, that you can move your hands, and I moved my hands. Mm. It was so fucking weird, though. Like, you just physically cannot move. And, um, like, my heart was racing and everything, and then mm. I eventually um, rolled over onto my stomach, which is the position I always sleep in. I never sleep on my back, because if you sleep on your back, you get sleep paralysis. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Oh my god, um, it's terrifying. Man, that that sounds fucking awful. I I'm so glad I've like I sleep on my back all the time. I always have. Uh, and I'm so glad I've never had sleep paralysis because I it, it really sounds like something where I'd just be like, nope, no sleeping on my back anymore. And yeah, it's the best way to sleep. It's very <laughs> like it's real. It, it's really happening to you. 
Like you're completely mm. awake. I, I know you're in a semi-sleep state, but yeah, like, yeah. the way that you feel is the exact same as being awake. It's actually mental. Like it is fucking mental that that is a thing that happens to normal people. Like, I, mm. it's so weird. Um, both times it's happened to me, I I genuinely think it's been a result of stress because I'm so fucking stressed at the moment. Um, I'm finishing up my job on Thursday. Um. And like, I want to leave my work. Like, I want to like get everything sorted out. And I also have to train people in on my job. And like, I'm just not good at training people because I'm not good at you know people. So it's a bit to be honest, hard training deal. training people is the worst thing in the world. It's so hard. I don't like it. Yeah, at all. like my job. My job was incredibly simple, and even training people for that was a fucking nightmare yeah it's not a good thing but um yeah i was thinking when you asked me today like what topic are we gonna go with i was like well um fairy tales are pretty scary uh contrary <laughs> to popular belief i swear contrary to disney-fied belief i suppose and um i wanted to talk a little bit early on about how if you think about it the whole concept of sleep paralysis would surely have given rise to like the birth of a lot of these stories like i'd imagine that the whole idea and notion of ghosts and demons and spirits and stuff must have its roots in sleep paralysis like mm. i am sure that numerous tales have been written and become truth of some kind due to someone's um like cuz like if i didn't know what sleep paralysis was i only i only heard about sleep paralysis from fucking darren brown on some ghost tv <laughs> show that one time um if I didn't know what it was, like I think I would be shook. Like Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's actually really bizarre. Yeah, definitely. Like Yeah. Crazy I thing. I yeah, thankfully I've like you know, like I said I've never experienced it, but it does not sound like a a whole a whole bundle of fun. Yeah. In any way shape or form. I think a good place to start off would be uh I I just want to say early on um fairy tales like a, a, a fairy tale is is defined as a type of short story that typically features folkloric fantasy characters like dwarves, elves, fairies, giants, gnomes, goblins, mermaids, etc. Mm. And I don't really know why, it, like fairy tale. It, it's it's said like fairy tale, but it's fairy tale. It's a tale that involves fairies. It, like it's where mm -hmm. it comes from. It, it, it's always something that has its roots held in in folklore. And stuff like that. And two of the most popular uh, fairy tale creators are the Brothers Grimm. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, I don't know why they're called the Brothers Grimm and not the Grimm Brothers. The Grimm Brothers. Um, I wonder, does the word Grimm come from their sort of dark, uh, atmospheric tales? Like, it's a, quite a fitting could, name for it. To yeah, it could of. definitely be possible. Yeah. Um, whether or not pseudonyms and stuff like that were a thing. At that time, um, uh, I haven't I haven't researched them enough to know whether um, you know their names being pseudonyms is actually a thing or whether they were. No, it's Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Yeah. Their names. Huh. Um, yeah, like I kind of thought that they were just some kids writers, but they were actually like academics and like yeah. they have a, an absolutely insane Wikipedia page. Um, their tales were adapted and used as propaganda by the Third Reich, and they're used, uh, studied by psychologists and stuff like that. Like, I think they were actually really intelligent guys, which is, like, 
not surprising, but you you don't really think of it that way, I suppose. Hmm. Um, I think a good one to start off with would be Sleeping Beauty. Um, yeah. We all know the story of Sleeping Beauty, which is why yeah. Jack is going to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> we all know the story, so I'm going to throw Jack in completely unprepared I've, to tell uh, the fucking I don't the know story what it of is. Sleeping. Like, yeah. She's. <laughs> She's in the forest and falls so, asleep, and a prince wakes her up by kissing her or something. That's what. Yeah, it is, that's the it? basic. They, that's the basic gist of it. Um, I, it's not. I, I was just trying to figure out whether it was the one. Uh, I think I'm getting confused with fucking with uh, with Shrek being the whole. Uh, you know, in the tower guarded by a dragon. Um, oh, that's Rapunzel. That's the one. Yeah. See, I've never seen the uh, Disney movies, but Shrek seemed incredibly relevant to me. Yeah. Yeah, Shrek was Shrek. To be honest, is uh, an adult film disguised as a children's oh, film. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and it has an excellent soundtrack. Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, that's the basic gist of Sleeping Beauty. Um, Enchanted um, bites and Enchanted Dapper is that Snow White? Fucking, hell, they all roll into one to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the Disney basically are very much the same. Person, yeah. Yeah. Um, she basically falls into a sleep that only her true love can wake her from with a kiss. Yeah, which is, is a lovely... Is the gen- yeah, that's not too bad. A little bit rapey. But... Well, wait till you hear the original version. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> while Snow White... W- <laughs> <laughs> Just said Snow White. Snow White. This is going to be a long podcast. While Sleeping and not, Beauty... And not in the way that everybody usually likes them to be. <laughs> while Sleeping Beauty was in her unconscious sleep state, um, she got impregnated by a monarch. Like, which is literally rape. Um, yeah. So she was raped, basically, and when she woke up, she found out that she was a mother to uh, two kids. Uh, twins, I'm assuming. Um, but what happened was she fell into a sleep state from um, a thorn or, like, a splinter that was stuck into mm-hmm. her finger, and that triggered something in fairy tale land that put her into, like, a sleep state. Um, and one of the kids pulled it out, and that's how she woke up, which mm. is just really, really strange. Um, but, yeah, so that all happened, and the guy who impregnated her actually was married to someone else, and his wife tried to kill uh, Sleeping Beauty and the kids, but the mm-hmm. king was like, no, you can't do that, and then in the end, Sleeping Beauty marries the guy that raped her, despite him being married. Mm-hmm. And then they all live happily ever after in true fairy tale fashion. Yeah. So like, the, yeah. There's there's a bit there's a bit that I've just read on um one of uh, we've we've all got we've both got open a few um like list kind of um things as we usually do from yes. people who've actually done proper research into these kind of things. Yes. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> the one that I'm looking at says the king later kills his wife to be with Sleeping Beauty and in brackets next to wife it says who tried to get him to unknowingly eat the children right so at some point she either killed the children or attempted to kill the children and cook them for him to eat Ugh. which you know as if it wasn't fuck, as if the whole you know rape of a uh, you know unconscious girl and then having, and it says here also the 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 child sucks the splinter out from under her fingernail. Yeah. Well, uh, which is also just a little bit odd. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, to add to another whole a whole other level, some cannibalism involved for everybody. Oh really? Uh, yeah, some mild mild cannibalism. It's interesting you say cannibalism because in <laughs> the Brothers Grimm version of Snow White, which is where mm. I jumped the gun earlier on. Um, okay. The the dwarves actually like were. Closer to the video. There was actually there was actually eight of them until <laughs> one uh, one cold winter. Uh. <laughs> the um, so have you ever heard "Son" by Rammstein? Yeah. Have you seen the video to it? No. It's actually a great like adaptation of the Snow White story. Oh, really? They're all sort of slaves for her, and like they're drilling in some uh, coal mine for her and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and it's amazing. It's it's really really good. Rammstein yeah. were such a like <laughs> such a class band for their ridiculously <laughs> cheesy sort of gimmick that they had going on. Um, but in the Brothers Grimm version of Snow White, the stepmother was tortured by being forced to wear red hot iron shoes and dance Oops. until she literally falls dead. Um, they also said that Snow White is seven years old, which is quite weird because Prince Charming comes along and seduces her. Um, yeah. The stepmom in the Brothers Grimm Snow White was actually a cannibal as well. And Fucking she hell. wanted to eat Snow White's liver, lungs, intestines, and um, also she wanted to drink her blood. So that's in the Brothers Grimm version and like I don't I really feel like there must have been some kind of cultural significance to all of this brutality but I can't really point my finger on what it was like it's so it's around the 18th century and I don't really know maybe like I know kids were sent to the mines and stuff Mm -hmm. like that back then so I don't really know or I don't really think that parents needed more stories to frighten their children with so I can't Mm. really like figure out what the purpose of these gruesome fairy tales is and like i yeah because i've known about this for quite some time that fairy tales have really really gruesome and brutal origins Mm -hmm. and that their original versions of their stories are just unbelievably brutal like this is like a like a japanese horror movie like Mm -hmm. like this is a thing that wouldn't be out of place in a really fucked up movie yeah you saying about the um about you know Snow White's stepmother wanting to um, you know eat her and stuff like that and drink her blood reminded me of um, did you say, did you say that these were written in the eighteen hundreds Yeah, is that right? Well, the because... Brothers Grimm were active from uh, the late seventeen hundreds to like the mid eighteen hundreds, so yeah, mm. like it would have all been around that time. Yeah, because and I think we've talked about this 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 woman before. She was active as a as a murderer in the. Uh, the late 1500s, early 1600s. Um, Elizabeth Bathory, or Countess Elizabeth. Oh uh, yeah, we have. She 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 ha- she holds the Guinness World Record, which is an odd phrase to say, um, but for the she's the most prolific female murderer. Um, uh, the the number of victims cited is around 650, and she would kind of you know uh, bathe in virgin's blood and stuff like that to try and keep her young. Um, so she did predate the Brothers Grimm by a couple of hundred years. So whether that's also um, they, they are actually picking bits and pieces from history, whether that kind of thing would be known to them. Yeah, but do you feel like no one's making movies about 
things that Hitler did. Like people, like sure, people are like um, mirroring Nazism in in various movies. Like even the mm-hmm. Star Wars universe has a sort of a Nazi element to it. Like you can yeah. see that that speech that Donald Gleeson makes in the Force Awakens. That's very much uh, Third Reich inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the uniforms are all very Third Reich as well. Yeah, and the red flag behind. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. But <laughs> that's not like. They're not like gassing gungans and like no, yeah. torturing sand people and things like that. Like it mm. is odd. I it's a really odd. I I suppose it's just the way the culture moves and things like that. Like I'm sure that it, in in the future they will wonder why the 21st century just went fucking mental with post-apocalyptic fiction mm-hmm. and yeah. zombie fiction. Um, but it feels like these are just especially bloody. You know what? It could as it could also be um, like the French Revolution was incredibly bloody, and yeah, um, even the Irish Revolution and stuff like that. So maybe it just comes from maybe it was like a, a literary coping mechanism for a society mm. that had been subjected to so much bloodshed. Yeah, but they just seem like especially yeah. brutal. Oh yeah, definitely. I find it even more surprising that they've actually managed to last, like that they've been adapted Mm. and changed so much. Like, why not just use new stories with new characters? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean. Like, and it's interesting. Like, don't forget that they, you know, they were accustomed also uh, back in those, you know, back in the day, as it were. Um, They were accustomed, you know, public hangings were um, like an event to go to. Yeah. Uh, public executions were an event to go to. They were. I'm not going to say a day out. <laughs> well. Um, but you know, you know, you know what I mean. They, you know, they, they were, they were. You know, death was a lot more death and that kind of, you know, kind of a, or like a very. I hesitate to use the word grim, but um, yeah. You know, a very kind of um, downtrodden. Yeah. Kind of um, lifestyle in general was a lot more commonplace to them. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so that might have something to play into it. Um, also, tempted to say, with with certain things, I mean, they're all... I'm not sure if I'm just taking it for granted that, you know, there's kind of this whole... Almost like, like Hansel and Gretel, mm-hmm. for example. It's kind of like a tale of almost... It boils down to a tale of strange danger, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously that's always probably always been a thing, really. You know, not to trust people outside of your tribe or you know yeah, or you know your family people that you, people that you know essentially and i feel like it's human nature of hyperbole to and it also kind of simplifying things down for children to understand as well as exacerbating them because to make them sound a lot worse than they might necessarily be yeah sort of like the um Daedalus and Icarus yeah, close to, close the, to sun. the sun. Yeah, like, listen to your parents; they know best. Yeah, and then this is this is what happened to the one kid that didn't. Yeah, which yeah, it, in the um, the original version of um, Hansel and Gretel was mm-hmm. called The Lost Children, and it was from a French writer, and the witch who sort of lured the kids into her gingerbread house. Is it Gingerbread House? Is that Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, yeah, that was Hansel and Gretel. Um, the witch that did that is the devil who wants to bleed mm. the children to death on a sawhorse. 
Yeah. If you don't know what a sawhorse is, look it up and imagine bleeding to death on it. I, I yeah, it, it it it's very very brutal. Um, so they pretended not to get on, or sorry, they pretended to not know how to actually sit on a sawhorse. So mm. the wife of the devil went and did it, and then they slit her throat, um, and they take all her money, and then they run away. So and as you do. It seems to me like in that story, the motto, or the motto, the moral is, fear the devil. <laughs> not only should you yeah. not um, trust strangers, but you should also fear the devil. Mm. So, like that's a thing that's yeah. going on. Yeah, I think what like you know what already talking about this and re- re- you know um, researching this has made me realise is that most of the story. You know, fairy tales that I'd rattle off off the top of my head are either written by the Brothers Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, yeah. And and even then, not all of them were written by those people. Like, they were adapted from those people. Yeah. And I guess that's just what we've come to know as fairy tales is actually just a sort of a quintessential, like, list of Mm -hmm. um, tales that come from a very particular source rather than. Because there are so many things that fit the concept of a fairy tale. Like it, it, it's really not a thing that you can accurately describe. It's just a thing that you know what it is when you hear the term yeah. fairy tale. Yeah, I find that interesting. That yeah, I what, think I think um the Hans Christian Andersen's Wikipedia page also puts it quite nicely. It says that um you know called fairy tales and his stories are called you know sometimes called fairy tales in English, which express themes that transcend age and nationality. Mm. Um. Which you know, I, I think I'd agree with. Yeah, I think so. That's that's perfectly fair. Um, but yeah, like some of these, like you can just there's there's a quite a few lists of um, of fairy tales and their kind of darker origins. Obviously, you know they've all been very much uh, dulled down to um, and softened a bit. But you know Hans Christian Andersen's version of The Little Mermaid. One of them I'm looking at now, as the quote, Before the sun rises, you must plunge the knife into the heart of the prince. When the warm blood falls upon your feet, they will grow together again and fall into a fish's tail and you'll be once more a mermaid. Yeah. You know, plunging a knife in... You know, you didn't see that in a Disney film. No, and in the original tale for The Little Mermaid, um, she meets a sea witch, which is like a witch, but in the sea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... She wants a pair of legs because she's come into contact with this prince who she actually saved from drowning. And mm. he didn't know who saved him from drowning. He didn't know it was a mermaid. He thought it was this other girl. So anyway, he, the mermaid knows that the prince likes her because he knows she knows that the prince is happy that someone saved his life. But she doesn't know about this other girl who's claiming the credit for it. So anyway, mm. she meets the sea witch who says... You can trade your tongue for legs, but your legs are going to feel like you are walking on daggers all of the time. And if the prince rejects you, you melt into sea foam. Um, and then Which is she, like the worst part of the sea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the worst kind of foam as well. So Yeah, you, exactly. Um, and then she says, oh, okay, I'll do that then. Um, so she gets legs and fucking walks it agony the entire time looking for the prince and then she does find the prince finds out that he's with another woman um who he believes saved her life when in fact Mm -hmm. it was ariel who did 
Um, and she confronts him about it. He says no. She melts to sea foam. Finn. <laughs> that's a pun because Finn's in the sea. But that's how it ends. Um, yeah. Let's not forget that she. Um, he's amused by this. You know the fact that she can't talk, and she. Um, she dances for him in excruciating pain, and he just kind of keeps her around for a bit until he marries this other woman. And then, you know, after the whole excruciating pain and suffer of emotional rejection, she turns into sea foam. Yeah. Which is just a lovely way to go. It is. But, you know, like, they were never going to... Everything needs a happy ending. And especially that one, I don't think, is so much a children's uh, fairy tale. Because I'm not I'm not sure what the lesson is there. Um, don't trust a sea witch. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> because it it ends up... It it doesn't end up kind of like happily ever after. I I so think it's... I think maybe we have a tendency to try and attach a moral to certain stories because they have such cultural significance. Yeah. And I'm starting to assume that perhaps these are just stories that are gruesome, and the whole point of them <laughs> is that they're gruesome. Like that's kind of their gimmick. There's yeah. no greater lesson to be had or anything like that. Um, mm. I I think if you look for a meaning in certain things, like you'll actually come away with really fucked up messages from it. Like, you can immediately see that, say, in Little Red Riding Hood, in the original story of Little Red Riding Hood, um, Little Red Riding Hood um, finds the wolf, uh, like, and he he's in her bed or whatever, and then she gets naked and gets into bed with him, and he eats her. And that's how it ends. And, like... The whole point of that is telling women to like maintain your virginity and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't know if that's if that was the original message that they intended. Because like, you know, like Jurassic World, the most recent mm-hmm. movie. Like there is yeah. a story in that movie. Like there is a a plot, like a, a lesson to be taken away from that movie. That if you're a woman, um, and you don't, if you're a woman and you pursue your career. Like, you're never going to have kids and there's no point in you and you're wasting your life yeah. and stuff like that. And, like, whether people think I'm being, like, overly... I'm being overly sanitized and I'm being offended yeah. and stuff. Like, that's a true thing that's in that movie. That mm-hmm. I don't know that the writers put that there to say, like... I don't think any of the writers were like, yeah, my fucking bitch wife doesn't want to have kids. She just wants to do... I, I feel like... And, I, you know, I don't want to sound... I saw uh, Disney recently released the largest study of screenplays um, ever to have taken place, and you can filter on this website um, based on the uh, a decade and the amount of, and then you can filter by genre as well. But you can filter mostly what it is about is filtering by how many um, of a certain gender and age group, uh, how many words and lines they have in the script. Yeah. Um. And I feel like, you know, obviously there's been, if you go back to like the 1960s, the 1950s, and you search for women over the age of about 30, you're you're not going to find almost any films where they've got more than about 10% of the lines. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, is understandable for, you know, various reasons. But I do sometimes feel like there's uh, a female character sh- a bit shoehorned in, almost. Yeah. Uh, 
and I don't know if that was the case with Jurassic World. Um, I don't think that it's, you know they chose uh, to. I don't think the character as a person was shoehorned in, but whether that kind of narrative that you're describing was kind of shoehorned in. Yeah, I, I as an like afterthought. It, yeah, it's a very much rushed subplot where they were like, "Oh, we have to ascribe some kind of emotion and thing for this yeah. person to do." And yeah. I don't feel like these fairy tales were affected by that kind of thing. I think they were just very much a straightforward, like, "Look, this fucked up thing is happening, and yeah. we're gonna write about here. It, here it is. Here it is. This is what it is. Yeah, this is like, how it is. It's like, it's like some kind of weird." Like stoner rock was written. It's like, it's like someone invented a whole new genre of music, and the whole focus of it is on being different and warped and like a contorted mm-hmm. version of what you're used to. Um, like I don't know what fairy tales were for the Brothers Grimm before they adapted the fairy tales. Yeah. But like in the Pied Piper, it's sort of a famous story about a man who gets hired to get rid of some rats. Mm. Um. And then uh, once he does that, the villagers don't pay, and yeah. he decides to get rid of all the children in the town, yeah. as a sort of a "fuck you, pay me" type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in like the the modern version of that is that the kids follow him to some cave, and then eventually he gets his money. And in yeah. the original, he led them all to a river, which he drowned them. Drowned in. them in, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say. Uh... <laughs> Uh, a, a little bit worse than uh, you know, just kind of going, okay, now give me the money and you can get them back, and just going, well, I'm gonna drown them. Yeah, and it, is the motto there something like, you know, if you hire a contractor <laughs> to to build an extension on your house, like you better pay that guy or else he because he power. will steal your children and drown them. Yeah, or like he he just has the power to like murder people in your house or something like that. It's it, mm. it's weird how. Um, we consider well. I I don't say me because personally I'm not affected by it in any way. But a lot of people are like, oh man, like Tim Burton has really like edited this fairy tale to make it so dark and edgy. And in actual <laughs> fact, he's just making a way lighter version of something that already exists. Yeah, it was already super dark. Yeah, and I th- I think again it is our perception of uh, what is dark and what's not. I think that we have a lot less of a as a society, we have a less kind of cavalier attitude towards death, or we ha- we have this kind of we want to really skirt around the idea that you know at the end of the day we're all going to die. Um, yeah. uh, I think with you know poten- you know with all the the shortened lifespan or the shorter lifespan that was probably more common, especially you know kind of illnesses that could wipe just wipe people out completely. Yeah. Um, you know those kind of things that we could easily fix with antibiotics now. Um, I think that led to people being a lot more uh, kind of upfront. I'd say about you're actually well. really right about that. I'd say that just in the like the dark ages and stuff, it's just mm. I, d- I don't know like what specifically the dark ages entails, but I, I do specifically <laughs> mean like the era where these fairy tales were written yeah it probably is just in response to the cultural bloodshed that was happening around them <laughs> i can't really see why it wouldn't be that i feel like that's what everything is everything that society produces is some reflection of what the attitude of the society is at the time um 
And that must be the case with these fairy tales because they've obviously achieved some kind of everlasting popularity where they just will not die out. Even if the version has to be altered to be tailored to the society that is currently on the receiving end of it. But it seems like it's very difficult for something to take its place in the fairy tale genre. I feel like that genre is pretty much sewn up by a few things and it is not really possible to get in there as your own thing now. Yeah. And, like, if you do, you you can't really be anything like the originals that had inspired you to do it either. It's just a no, very sure. tough thing to, to get for in. For sure. But I'm not sure anyone's anyone's out to write um, fairy tales, as it were, because I, you know, like like I said earlier, when I was reading, when I read the um the part from the Hans Christian Andersen Wikipedia page where it said that they kind of they're the morals that transcend kind of time and was it genre? Yeah. Um, I don't. I think they've they've all been written and. You can't, you know, you you can't reinvent the wheel, as it were. You know, all of the the reason that these the fairy tales that we all know and the fairy tales that Disney have remade and you know everyone is aware of, the reason they've stuck about is because they are. I'm not going to say perfect, but you know they embody uh, the moral behind them in the best way possible for now, anyway. Yeah. And until that changes, I don't think we'll see any new fairy tales, especially not in our lives time, lifetimes anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that I would consider to be a modern fairy tale, and it's actually really hard. And I, I don't yeah. mean a thing that was invented now that you'd put as a fairy tale. I mean something that's going to have a lasting impact on society. Yeah. And not society, because that sounds very like... You have to be affected by this fairy tale. I just mean mm. one who's moral and just even characters and, and the strangeness of it is going to be carried forward to the next generation because it just doesn't yeah. seem to be happening. Like, I think even, like, Tim Burton probably came closest with stuff like Corpse Bride and things like that. <laughs> but even then, I don't think society's held on to that at all. I think Tim Burton's kind of developing... or, or Tim Burton's gaining more and more of a reputation for being a one-trick pony, which... Like I'm fine with because I don't really <laughs> care for his work at all. Um, mm. But that's yeah, I can't really think of. I'm probably forgetting something really obvious though. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that about talking. I, I have the feeling though. Speaking of you know modern fairy tales, is that the versions, the more aggressive versions, and the more the less kind of the less Disney versions are going to fall to the wayside as people you know because we uh, we, we kind of grew up with the disney films as it were and i know you you've, you haven't really seen any of them but we grew up in that kind of time frame mm -hmm. where the disney films is how we learned those morals yeah to a degree so i think that as our generation grows up and then shows their you know they're not going to read their kids a bedtime story that will be like the brothers of grim book or anything you know even mildly similar you know, even, you know, kind of a Disney book version, they will see the Disney films instead. Yeah. Um, so I think that the Disney films will actually take over from even, you know, this middle ground that probably just predated us slightly yeah, of fairy tales. Yeah, uh, it's hard to, like, like, pinpoint when fairy tales stopped being 
sort of the thing that people turn to over like movies and stuff like that <laughs> i feel like frozen has definitely made a massive cultural impact and uh, yeah. it's kind of given new life to that genre um and it's really interesting because it's a little bit of a spin on it too because it's two two princesses which yeah. i don't think there has ever been two princesses in the same disney story before This song is called Lullaby and it's a cover of the original is by The Cure and this cover is by a band called Editors. A lot of people probably know who they are. They were pretty popular about 10 years ago or so, but it's very, very fairy tale like So listen to the lyrics because they're scary as fuck and just insanely creepy, which goes with the theme of this episode. But the conversation is about to shift towards um, the movie industry and how it's changing in line with the way that fairy tales have changed over the years so i hope you guys are enjoying it so far if you are please do leave a like and i hope you guys enjoy where it goes and uh, i'll catch you at the end of the episode so i'll talk to you then
Yeah, and in a similar ilk to what I was just saying, and you're saying about modern fairy tales, I think possibly something like Wally. Um, yeah, yeah. Very the, current, you know, destroying the world, kind of all of that, you know, consumerism, uh, you know, talk, you know, all that kind of those um, messages about consumerism and global warming and all that kind of stuff. I think that that has the potential um, to become, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it's kind of of the same caliber, but you know it's on it's on a similar plane as the rest of the Disney films, but it's not quite a fairy tale. Yeah, I think you're do, right. Do you, know, do you know what I'm getting at? Like, yeah. so, I think that's the closest thing I can think of anyway, off the top of my head, to a modern fairy tale. Anyway, do you want to talk about any creepy versions of fairy tales that you found? I think like you've covered a ton of the bases because yeah we could literally go on and on about like every other yeah um, i don't want to do that anymore so no (laughs) let's talk about um like current adaptations of things from the past and how they change to fit this society um Mm -hmm. because i feel like we're really having a sort of a cultural race to the bottom to see what can be the most gritty thing out there in the world um there have been so many remakes of Batman that fit each society at the time that I find yeah. really interesting. Um, the mm. Tim Burton one, not so much. It's kind of just a Tim Burton thing where it was interesting yeah. because it was atmospheric and dark. And even though like a lot of people say Jack Nicholson's Joker was wacky or whatever, at the time that was a really dark movie. Like mm. it, it was actually like it wasn't a wacky sort of camp version of Batman. It was a dark one that. Um, that really resonated with a lot of people and it was seen as a sort of a rebirth for the superhero genre in general. Um, Batman and Robin and things like that helped to destroy all of that that was happening. But mm. the Batman... Is it Batman Forever? Or is it Batman and Robin? The one with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Where yeah. the whole city of Gotham is this sort of psychedelic um, wash of colour and vibrancy mm. and it it's this really strange sort of flourishing dystopia. Mm-hmm. And that was at a time where the movies coming out were movies like The Fifth Element. And sort of, I, I just, I feel like it hinged closer to sci-fi. And sci-fi was the thing of that era. Not just sci-fi, mm-hmm. but closer to, like, say, steampunk or cyberpunk. Like, movies like Hackers and things like that. Yeah. And then it gets to, like, The Dark Knight, which is just the grimmest, grittiest, dark version of Batman that there is. And it's actually crazy to think about how they... It's almost like they're shoehorning those characters into sort of societal observations. Like Mm. when Bane hits up the stock exchange and he sort of rattles off this rhetoric about basic... Like he, he was just a few sentences away from given it the whole we are the 99% occupy (laughs) Gotham Street thing Um, that was all like very obvious what he was doing there I Mm -hmm. think and even Batman in the Dark Knight where he does that sonar navigation thing that is obviously a reflection of the NSA and the like global surveillance and Mm -hmm. it was a part of that discussion and it was saying that like this is what the American government wants to do is that they need to see all of this so that they can do this and then they can destroy it or whatever and it's like 
that's not really how it works but you know there's so many things that when people look back on they might be very confused about and it will just seem like a movie but yeah. those are quite clearly cultural observations yeah i think um it's like especially now especially you know pointing out all those cultural observations especially with like the news cycle as it is now where 24-hour news is such a prevalent thing yeah. stories come and go so quickly like you, well, you you could hear about a story for maybe three days in a row and then it'll be gone yeah and like forever like that'll be it that's the length of a news story now like even even something massive yeah it's really strange um, yeah it's it really strikes me as odd especially like you know we had those that whole panama papers thing recently and i haven't seen a headline for it, it within uh, and it's only it's been less than a week uh, I haven't seen a headline for it for the last couple of days. I don't even know what that is. Oh, is that the this the WikiLeak about the um, David Cameron and his funds being? Uh, yeah, not just David Cameron, but it's you know the companies all over the globe. Yeah, like you know rich people all over the world and stuff like that. But yeah, like yeah, yeah that story is that, already that is, winding that down. Is, that is absolutely massive. Like that is the the largest leak um, based on corruption that the world has ever seen, and it's almost gone again already. Yeah. People just don't care as much anymore. But, you know, the, that's why... That's why I think South Park, even though I'm not a massive fan, I think they're, you know, they're really impressive in the fact that they can kind of put out episodes that are so relevant so quickly. Yeah, that's um, one of obviously the they fade. They, obviously, they fade away kind of really quickly, but then, obviously, if you've seen them at the time when they came out, then you'll understand all of the references. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's why... A lot of films don't put references to um, things that happen happening at the time, especially with how long it takes to make a film. Yeah, you can true. you can write a reference or film a reference, and by the time you finish editing it, it's six months out of date. Um, yeah, that's and that's it's yeah. Just, I just had a thought there about um, mm. the internet and how people can now sort of edit things in real time. Um, yeah. And it, it made me think, like, if I upload The Midnight Hour and there's a copyrighted song and because of that it's blocked in several countries, I can edit that out of the YouTube video while it's on YouTube without taking mm -hmm. it out. Um, now, I don't because that's effort, but it's a thing that I can do. <laughs> um, Kanye's album, The Life of Pablo, is mm -hmm. the first album to ever hit number one based on streams alone. It hasn't sold a single physical copy and it's hit number one, which is a groundbreaking feature. But yeah. the interesting thing about that album is that it's the first album ever that's been modified in real time. Tracks have been altered, tracks have been removed. Uh, the entire shape of that album has changed from its release date, which mm -hmm. was only like last month, and it seems yeah. like it was so fucking long ago. Um, so that's happening. Um, he also added in like new verses on tracks the day that it was streamed. Uh, for the very first time at his fashion event in New York City, the album was streamed, and in the actual release date, the next day, there were lyrics that were changed to reflect the event itself, which uh, is a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. And you have that Suicide Squad movie coming out, and they're <laughs> recutting that. They're reshooting yeah. scenes. Yeah, yeah, that, Which I find to yeah. be... I don't think that's a good thing that's happening there. Um... I think for the Suicide Squad thing, I think they, I think it's great that the studio has paid attention to the kind of feedback that they got from the people seeing the trailer and from early showings, uh, like pre-release showings, so that they're kind of going, 
okay, we've made a good film, but it's not the film that we wanted to make. We're going to throw a bit more money at this and do it right. I think yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think too many revisions is definitely a bad thing, and you you know you come too far away from it even being recognisable um, as the film that they started out with. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it has the potential to be a huge like clusterfuck <laughs> of. I I I think overall there's the potential there for it to lead to a reduction in the quality of movies and yeah. um it could normalize desynchronized movies like things that are blatantly out of place because yeah. of cuts like th- there's lots of movies that deleted scenes um have basically like ruined the movie you know what I mean like, yeah yeah it, I, I find that to be something that is it has the potential to just lead to a reduction in the quality of movies, and that's yeah. something that yeah, I'm I, concerned about. I, I, def- I, d- I definitely, um, you know, you saying that, worry about the idea that if they, s- if other studios see that Suicide Squad did it this way, then they could think that, well, what if we, I'm not sure they'd think it this way, but, you know, what if we save some money and almost half ass production? Yeah. And then if no one has any complaints with it, great. If they do, then we'll just be like, "Oh yeah, so we're reacting to your complaints and your comments, and we're you know reshooting and adding scenes and changing things." Yeah, I think that's a slippery slope, but I'm not sure it will ever come to that, just because of the extra effort and the uproar that might come based on that. I think there's a time when it could be possible. Um, yeah, I want to go back as well to what you were saying about how the the Panama Papers thing. Yeah. And how it's sort of just—it's it, essentially like normalized apathy at the moment. Like people yeah. are just like—I think people are so over being outraged at the government that people yeah. are just like, "Oh, whatever." Um, but I—I I find that really interesting that there's this sort of um, cliche or stereotype towards younger people that they don't care about politics; they just care about taking selfies and doing things like that and like pretty much every young adult or every teen dystopian movie is the exact same movie and they all reference cultural apathy and they all reference this teenage protagonist who is the only person that sees the world Mm -hmm. for what it truly is while everyone else is taking selfies and falling in line and things Mm -hmm. like that and they're all just the same fucking movie and i've fallen for this I've fallen for it like three times. I've seen Divergent, <laughs> right? Which is a god-awful film. Oh, dear. I've seen The Maze Runner, which is a better film, but it's still a bad one, and ultimately yeah. the exact same as the other one. And I fucking got tricked into watching The Fifth Wave, <sighs> which is literally the most unoriginal, predictable, awful movie I've seen in the last maybe five mm. years. I could not get over how bad it was. And there's nothing really wrong with the cast either. It's just that mm. they sort of bleed into this young heartthrob like <laughs> type element and it, it's yeah. like the fifth way like all of these new movies think that because they're adding a female character that that's the thing that like that's all they need to do is just yeah. oh look it's not the same as this because it's a woman that's in it now and like that's <laughs> not the case at all it's great that women are getting more roles obviously yeah. but that's not enough to make your movie an original thing like no. and, and that's something that they all just fall back on like Chloe Grace Moretz is probably a really good actor I've only ever seen her as Hit Girl and like she is great yeah. as that 
Um, yeah. But the fifth wave is not a reflection of that at all. It, it no. is a bad, bad movie. And no. from now on, I'm going to have to make sure that every movie I watch is not a dystopian teen. Because, <laughs> like, dystopian movies used to be my favorite types of movies, like mm. Equilibrium and The Matrix and yeah. those types of action. Even going back to, like, Demolition Man and movies like mm-hmm. that. But, no, these the, the new ones are, are bad in quality. Like, they're very yeah. similar and they're very... I don't understand how they continue to rake in the cash, to be honest. Yeah. I I think it's it's like and it's been said for the last uh, like five years as far as I can remember, is that Hollywood has run out of ideas. Yeah. Um and they are rehashing a lot of old films that they've got. Not that a lot of films aren't rehashes of just like yeah. think, like Shakespeare and stuff anyway. Yeah, but um, it's getting worse now. Yeah, it's it's definitely getting worse because I think with in the modern day they want to pump out as many summer blockbusters as possible, as many big movies as possible. It's become less of a thing about getting out decent quality films as getting out as many as possible with the biggest stars. Yeah, uh, which you can you can just see from the amount of shit that gets put out, the amount of films that no one cares about really um yeah yeah like if you look at the top highest in fact we'll do it right now okay um highest grossing movies of 2015 i am gonna say that like i'm gonna i'm gonna say that maybe 90 percent of them are probably sequels or you know prequels or things that already exist in cinematic universe somewhere um, mm-hmm. So you've got like Star Wars, Jurassic World, Avengers, um, Inside Out. I don't know what that is, so I'll leave. Inside that. Out is actually um, a fairly unique idea from Pixar. Okay. Um, I, I, I studied it slightly as part of my dissertation, but yeah, it's actually quite unique. So like going down the list, Star Wars is the seventh in the series. Jurassic World was shit. Um, Avengers: Age of Ultron is a you know a second in a series. Fast and Furious 7, 7th in the series. Minions is a shit spin-off. Of, it's a spin-off, uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, something it's that a already spin-off. exists. The Hunger Games. Uh, the Hunger Games is part 2. Don't like, get me started on the Hunger Games. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, the Martians, based on the book. Cinderella. I mean... I think The Martian you know, is fine. Like, I'm fine with The Martian being there. Yeah, because, because it's not been done before. Yeah. As a, you know, but see, based, the, it's still based on a book. The it's not, bad you know, thing original. about The Martian being there is that it is... Like, it, it's original and, and it is unique in its own sense and stuff like that. Yeah. To me, it just felt like an ordinary space movie, but we've had this discussion before. Yeah, like, yeah. I know that I'm not seeing something there. I, like, I know that I'm wrong because enough educated people have told me that they think it's <laughs> like i don't think i'm better than people or anything like that um but the martian only got the budget that it did and everything because of ridley scott and yeah. if you notice there are movies like um what's that movie with um oh man what the hell is her name the girl from <laughs> i can't even remember what show she's from the show that chris <laughs> pratt is in with anna faris uh parks and recreation yeah parks and recreation so there's a girl yeah. in that um with black hair the, she's like a comedian girl okay it might not even be Parks and Rec it's you know the <laughs> time travelling movie um, that's that's vague Is are we talking about Aubrey Plaza here Aubrey Plaza right she's in that time travelling movie where it's about an advert 
a guy put an advert in the paper like um, safety not guaranteed safety not guaranteed we got there the guy who directed that movie Mm -hmm. went on to direct I believe Godzilla Jurassic World Jurassic World okay so the guy who directed Godzilla directed another indie movie called Monsters which had a budget of $100,000 or something like that. And yeah. it's a really good movie. Like, Monsters is really, really good. It makes use of its um, of, of everything it got out of the budget. Like, it squeezed everything out of it. It made a yeah. really compelling story, some fantastic cinematography, um, believable characters. And, and it's a movie that I really wish I could unsee and then watch again for the first time because mm. I really enjoyed that movie. He went on to do fucking Godzilla, which is a remake of a remake of a remake of a remake. Oh, of a remake, yeah. Yeah, and the guy who made Safety Not Guaranteed, a neat little indie movie, went on to do Jurassic World, a remake of yeah. well, a reboot or a rehashing or a sequel yeah. or whatever. So all the people who come out with these types of movies that are something unique and neat, they get given these blockbuster movies that are yeah. everything in here. Like, fucking Cinderella, James Bond, Mission Impossible, Pitch Perfect 2. Then you've got The Revenant, mm-hmm. which is another one where it's just a director who's who's hot at the moment and decided to do his own thing. Um, but then there's like Ant-Man, there's Hotel Transylvania yeah. 2. Um, all of these things, like they're all just remakes and rehashes. And, yeah. Um, that's, that, that's alarming, I think, for... The quality of movies. It's really good that like Netflix are getting in there and making original content. Yeah. Um, because even I, even Amazon Prime making original content as well. Yeah, I, I think that's gonna sort of spring its own section of TV mm-hmm. channels and TV movies and stuff yeah. into existence. And I think that yeah. that's actually really important for the future of cinema because, mm. um, like I don't want to sound alarmist or conservative or like I'm you know. There are a lot of great movies coming out all the time. I just don't feel like it's... Um, I don't feel like the amount of original movies coming out is proportional to what it should be. With I, yeah. I just, It seems like all the good young directors are getting gobbled up and given scripts for, you know, massive... Massive films, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't feel like that's good. I think they should be able to do their own thing. That's why, like, a lot of cinema fans and stuff like that fucking hate Chris Nolan... And they mm. think he's the worst, and he does the the cutaway um, transition way too much, where the audio yeah. from the next scene filters in. I think Chris Nolan is fantastic, and I think yeah. it's really important to have a guy like him making movies because he makes original popcorn movies for the thinking man, and that's something that is that really needs to be kept and really needs to be allowed to nurture mm. and stuff like that. I know he did Batman, and that goes against what I said, <laughs> but he went from Batman to. Uh, uh, Inception, which is a really original uh-huh. concept in Hollywood. Mm. I think uh, what's great about um, Amazon Prime and Netflix is that they're putting a lot of pressure on the stud- a lot on the studios. And anyone that knows the history of cinema and knows the history of Hollywood, especially, knows that it's been dom- absolutely dominated by six um, studios since the 1940s. Yeah, um, and because it, it used to be that there were 50, there were fifty, I think it was roughly fifty studios in Hollywood. Yeah, and fifty percent of the directors in Hollywood were women until the nineteen fifties or something like that. Fun fact. Yeah, 
yeah, something like that. And but then they kind of all just got absorbed into becoming these six that you know we're very familiar with today. And I think it's great the Netflix and Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime are actually doing something where you can submit your screenplays and your ideas no way. to them for cash if they get made. That's awesome. Um, uh, either percentage based or a flat fee. That's really based really on cool. um, the length of the script and like not complexity, but whether it's like a mini series, a TV series, uh, or a feature length film. That's really cool. So I think that's wicked that they're tapping into kind of all this otherwise unseen talent, yeah. as it were, that wouldn't have the ability to kind of get in a room with a Hollywood producer or get in a room with a Hollywood scriptwriter. Yeah, and you I think, do. I think it's I think it's great. You do hear stories about movies being made because someone showed a script to someone at some party somewhere. Yeah. Like, the guy who plays Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead became an actor because he was at some Hollywood party somewhere and impressed yeah. someone. Whatever. Um, but that's those are the minority. Like. Yeah, definitely. Majority of people get in for from other means and things like that. And I think yeah. they should really be pressing originality. I also think that it's interesting that there is this... Like, there's a definite... Um, urge uh, amongst like um executives and studios and stuff like that to really push dystopian fiction um and maybe not even dystopian but there's been a huge focus on zombies over the last few years which i'm all for i will watch anything zombie related um but the walking dead is the most is it's the highest grossing tv show of all time and i find that to be crazy yeah it is yeah what the fuck yeah (laughs) It's it's like the most important TV show ever for like the for AMC, and it, it's it's crazy because I just don't think that would have been the case ten years ago. No, no, I I, I don't know how zombies have slotted into this socially acceptable sort of place in like pop culture. Because yeah, although it's... they were always a thing that were welcome in cinema and things like that, they were never mainstream. Like, mm. you know, zombies were never the biggest thing happening. Yeah, it's you know, now that you mention it, it's really odd that zombies uh, of all th- of all things have popped up to be the one kind of paranormal thing that is has captured uh, like the hearts of pop, the heart of pop culture. That's what when, I wonder, though. Is it a reflection on society? Like, is it this thing that people have where they just think everyone around them is a zombie? Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, because it's the same yeah, yeah. basic theme with the dystopian thing, where yeah. I'm the only one that's alert to this crazy thing that's happening. And I think The Walking Dead pushes all the buttons with the different generations because I think the older generation watching probably relate to it because they feel like the younger generation are zombies with their heads in their phones, mm. and the younger generation watching it are like oh well everyone else is a zombie because they don't see the real things that are going on around here and stuff <laughs> like that um so I, I think it's just happened into that section of um pop culture where it's just become something that has grasped just several generation spans and held on yeah. and not letting go yeah i mean what i think is interesting and i heard this the other day is that i th- I think it was around 40% of Americans believe in ghosts. Like 50 odd percent of Americans in like 2000 said they believed in ghosts. Yeah. And yeah, it's zombies that kind of took hold as the paranormal, um, you know, the, the paranormal 
yeah. kind of creature of choice. Um, which it, I, it was vampires for a while. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Like, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. Vamp- and then oh, the whole Twilight thing. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's re- I think it's really odd. I, yeah, I even True Blood I, there for a while. Yeah, yeah, I would say that there's kind of Hollywood is ever so slightly behind pop culture. Yeah, uh, just by that, just by the nature of how long it takes to make a feature length film. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, everything you know, production can take anywhere from uh, it can take you know as little as three months. It can take as little as a month in some cases, but it can take up to a year and a half as well. Plus, you've got pre and post production as well included in that, which can easily make a film take a very long time. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that you know the zombies have still kept on. Yeah, they've held um, on and they're not letting go. Yeah, they're really ironically enough, they're really not letting go. Yeah. I think we're coming towards the end of it though. Um, I, I kind I th- of don't know. Like. There's a show called Z Nation that's on sci-fi, and it's sort yeah. of, it, it's sort of just, it, it looks, if you were to watch it, you would think that it's a kind of a greedy cash grab at the whole zombie thing, yeah. but um, AV Club did an analysis on that show, and it's in, yeah. I don't know what season it's in, I think it might be in its fifth, um, it, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's definitely past its first too, but it was this crazy, wacky thing fitting of, I think it's... I think the asylum produced it. Maybe I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but I know that it, it was wacky and bizarre and crazy and stupid and cliched and everything. But it's yeah. supposedly like really going somewhere, and it actually makes for relatively compelling viewing now. Like, like mm. as in, it's gone from a three to a seven. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's just gaining a foothold in. It's just been commissioned for, or, or sorry, it's just been added to Netflix. Yeah, it has actually, yeah. Um, I saw it the other day. The most recent... Do you know know what I find bizarre, though, is the overall quality of... Like, The Walking Dead is not really that high. There's some fantastic scenes in it, and some really just neat... I can't really explain what it is, but there's something about the way they do these neat little... Like, because it comes from a comic book, and comic books have very... They have a lot of they have a lot have a lot of leniency as well in terms of kind of the physics and the realism to it. Yeah, to a degree. Like, something that's cool in a comic book is not really explainable in real life. Like there's yeah. a scene in The Walking Dead where um, these characters Edith and Glenn um, are like Edith is the awkward um, troubled teenager mm-hmm. that is obviously like relating to a certain section of. Um, like the younger audience in that show, yeah. And then there's Glenn, who's this um, Korean guy who's just survived the whole way through, and um, he's great, and he's never had to kill anyone and stuff like that. Um, but they find these balloons on the road, like green balloons, and the yeah. whole thing is like almost like a wash of black and white, and just grim, like gritty elements of yeah. like decaying, rusting cars and like decaying buildings and stuff like that. And there's just this really cool shot from behind Glenn and Edith with the balloons floating up into the sky. And yeah. I, I can't really explain it, but you know that it's something that would look great in a comic book. Yeah, But yeah. you'd never be able to explain why. And it was really cool seeing that brought to life. But yeah. at the same time, they just ended season six or five mm-hmm. on a cliffhanger. And, like, you don't end a season on a cliffhanger. Like, that's not... 
a, a high quality show should absolutely not be ending on a cliffhanger. Like that that's like a mistake that you do. You but yeah, that's that's the thing and a lot of people will hate the fact that it end, has ended on a cliffhanger and I know that I hated that um the fifth season of Suits had a uh, a halfway break that ended uh, on a cliffhanger and so many seasons of various TV shows end on a cliffhanger. But I think this again will boil down to kind of uh, the studio going, and this is, I don't know if this is just me being very cynical, but uh, you know, you hear a lot about the studios told people to add this and take that out and change this based on what they thought would straight make more money. Mm-hmm. And it definitely sounds like something where they've gone, but this will guarantee that people will at least watch the first episode of next season. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think straight up, that's... like there's a lot of competition for these types of um, studios yeah. as well. But I, like, honestly, Suits, I I, I can accept it from Suits because Suits isn't a top tier show. Like, it looks, yeah, sick, yeah. but it's not. It, it's it's, it's got really bad not, writing. No. It's got bad characters. It's yeah, quite as clearly, we were discussing last time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite clearly filmed in fucking Canada as well, and it's supposed oh, to be Vancouver. Yeah, but like, um, I can accept it from Suits because that's not something that I'd ever. But like The Walking Dead, like the highest grossing thing ever. Like fuck off, ending your season <laughs> cliffhanger. To be honest, um, I was gonna ask because um, I feel like the fairy tales and the way they were adapted into yeah. other fairy tales is interesting. Um, and nowadays, I think books get adapted into great TV shows and um, good movies. I feel like TV series that come from books are better than. Um, mm. movies and I think TV series are replacing books because they're very long you can really yeah. flesh out a character you can tell lots of different mm-hmm. stories about that character um, I think TV series are the new books and I, I don't like movies are the new movies I guess or, or movies yeah. are the old movies rather because that's what seems yeah. to be the case here um, but sometimes they do movies like they do old movies better than they were before, and I'll mm. ask you about that a little bit later. But what do you think about books being adapted to movies and how it never seems to work? I, the problem with books, uh, well, I suppose the problem with movies is that they're simply just not long enough. Yeah, I, I really uh, think that but, that's it. And it's also to do with one thing that's never really spoken about when talking about why. Um, books are never make good movies is the pacing of it mm-hmm. you can no matter how quickly you read a book so you know it doesn't matter how quickly you actually read it you're reading it at your pace so you're reading it and gaining an understanding all in kind of this time frame that fits you as it were yeah um so you're kind of gaining this understanding, you're building empathy, and you've got more time with kind of the characters to build an understanding and empathy, or to build whatever emotion that the uh, author wants to, you to you know build in relation to the characters. With a film, you've got very much a first act within the first half an hour. You'll have the second act, the twist, and the end. Yeah, most movies and, are the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like if you if you can look out for it. Obviously, if they're very well made, you won't be able to see, or there are there just won't be a twist, as it were, yeah. or you won't be able to see it happen. Yeah, it'll be more gradual, or it'll just be better done. 
And that's one of the reasons that, like someone like M Night Shyamalan is very um uh cursed in the uh like in the critical world. It's just the fact that his the the twist comes and it slaps you in the face and goes, Time for the third act. Yeah. Um <laughs> M Night Shyamalan is a terrific director, but a bad writer. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that he wrote like the sixth sense like a hundred times before he mm. found out how it ended himself. Like, you know, he just decided that and was like, that's it. Whereas I think yeah. after that, the the studio were like, oh, man, uh, you've got to make another movie uh, in like two years uh, or mm. whatever. Here's your budget. And I think he was like, ah, shit, it, it's got to do what I've done before. That's my blueprint for success. So mm-hmm. that's where the whole twist. Thing. Apparently Devil was a pretty good movie, though. I never watched it. No. But he is a good director. <clears throat> yeah. But just um, an... uh-huh. I I wanted to just say I think it's interesting that uh David Fincher I think is one of the best directors in the world. But mm. the way he made a good movie out of um Fight Club and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and like to yeah. a lesser degree the Zodiac movie, I know it's not based on a novel, but it is based on something that we've added a narrative to and mm-hmm. already exists in public consciousness so it's not quite the same thing but I think he just does great adaptations of things I think like that's his real talent is that he's able to understand his source material and build it into his own thing mm-hmm. like because David Fincher is just the way he makes his movies and everything is so compelling like he's so fucking good and he adds so many layers to his movies that you you wouldn't really understand unless you watch them over and over and over mm-hmm. um but like fight club is very long and the girl with dragon tattoo is very long um yeah. and, and in fact zodiac is very long as well he makes long movies is what i'm trying to say but yeah. um he's just really really good at doing it and some directors mm-hmm. are just not really good at doing it yeah the, I think um, it, I, it's it's really easy for a film to be too long and get boring, mm. uh, or for not to be long enough and not to flesh anywhere near us enough stuff out. And don't forget that the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, the Fincher one, was a remake. Yeah. Of uh, the Swede, I think it was the Swedish version because it was by a Swedish author. It was Swedish, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So even that's a remake of a remake. Copy of a copy. <laughs> Boom, yeah, Fincher exactly. reference within a Fincher reference. <laughs> Fucking get in. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Danny Boyle did a good adaptation of Train Spotting, but mm-hmm. a bad adaptation of The Beach. So I don't yeah. know. Um, I yeah, haven't seen his, yeah. like his Steve Jobs thing. I haven't seen. I've, no, I haven't seen the Steve Jobs thing either. That was definitely rushed um, to capitalize yeah. on, you know, the like what was. Yeah happening in public consciousness as well fuck that yeah movie. yeah um what uh oh, there was a movie i was thinking of just then uh the the best the best movie i've ever seen is mm. f- well i mean the best adaptation of a book yeah is the road the cormac mccarthy book and okay it's just like exactly what i wanted it to be like exactly yeah it's so good it, it's I don't know. You have to be a certain type of person mm. to watch The Road. I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. but like, Yeah, I think you have done. When I watched The Road, I did nothing but think about The Road for the next like two and a half years of my life. I, yeah. I think I thought about it every day. It was the most... I think it was maybe even... like I find it interesting that Cormac McCarthy even wrote that book, to be honest, because it seems yeah. like such a... 
um, non Cormac McCarthy thing to do, but also it was from I think the road the book is from the early two thousands, and post apocalyptic yeah. fiction wasn't even anywhere near its peak or it, you know, like maybe the road was in some way the catalyst for it because the road doesn't have a very high IMDb or critic score, and I think if it came out now it would have an immense one. Mm. So yeah. See, you've just you've reminded me, unfortunately, of the uh, the worst uh, book adaptation that I've ever seen. <laughs> What's that? Um, I've mentioned it several times, and I will forever mention it. Um, I love Bill Bryson books. Uh, specifically, one of my favourites is uh, called A Walk in the Woods, where he walks the Appalachian Trail. Uh, well, most of it, anyway. It was recently adapted into a film with I believe Robert Redbridge playing the uh playing the part of Bill Bryson. And I went to see it because I'm I'm a massive fan of Bill Bryson. I was surrounded by people uh fifty years my senior. Hmm. Who I believe is his rough target audience anyway, really. Yeah. Uh and the film was atrocious. Really? It was awful. I think it's the lowest score I've given anything on IMDB. Really? Yeah, it was absolutely sinfully boring. Oh my! It like missed the mark of Bill Bryson's humour completely. They made some very feeble attempts to bring it into the 21st century as well. Ah, uh, that's poor. And yeah, it was poor all around. And it really, it really like I've never felt disappointment like it. Yeah. Well, you know, apart from you know grades at school and first time you'd yeah, and a million other things I could list, actually, come to think of it. But, yeah, there's nothing actually more disappointing than seeing a book that you love ruined in yeah. the medium, in another medium that you love. Yeah, that's true. Incre- like, emotionally painful. <laughs> I, I think um, a great guy for making great movies is Martin Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, like, the most obvious thing I've ever said. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. a type of dairy food is I, cheese. <laughs> I think the water is wet. Yeah, but um, what I meant by that... <laughs> please, please do elaborate. ...was he has done some adaptations of things that already exist, and he has improved them and changed them and given them a suitable narrative and made for some incredibly compelling viewing, starting with... Probably. I mean, I'm sure there's... Well, like, Raging Bull is kind of an adaptation. But, like, Wise Guy is a book written by uh, Nicholas Pileggi. Or Pileggi, mm-hmm. who... Um, yeah, it's called Wise Guy. It's about Henry Hill. That, um, Nicholas was a, a... He might still be alive. Um, <laughs> a, a journalist, though, who talked about the... Uh, who talked about Henry Hill, basically, and his mm-hmm. entire life. And Martin Scorsese was like... Alright, sweet. Um, gonna make a movie on this and call it Goodfellas and stuff. And like yeah. the Henry Hill character in the movie is not the same guy in real life. Um, they're not the same or whatever, but like Goodfellas mm. is a fucking ridiculously good movie. I, yeah. I I've seen it like I know every single line in it off by heart and stuff yeah. like that. I have in jokes with friends that are just like me and one of my friends, the um David Wicks, he's the guy who wrote the book The Raven that um I shouted out in one of the episodes, which a lot of you guys actually bought, so, like, thank you sincerely for doing that. Um, <laughs> but, like, we can just say to each other, like, 
everybody loved stacks and like now that that's just a tiny bit of dialogue about Samuel L. Jackson who is in Goodfellas that most people don't even know that he was in Goodfellas yeah. but he was Stax who, who um, drove the getaway van in the Lufthansa heist <laughs> and stuff like that and yeah just I don't know it's it, for me it's like the most quotable movie it's the greatest movie it's so good and that's an adaptation and um, yeah. to, to, to flesh out the point a little bit more like he's done adaptations of things like um, The Wolf of Wall Street and mm-hmm. uh, Catch Me If You Can and you know, he's just a great guy for bringing stuff like that to life and yeah. not having it seem like a chore to watch because of the length. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think if you if you do book adaptations right and you include all of the, I, I think that's the challenge is that picking all of the right bits to include in the film. Yeah, because obviously you can't include everything depending on the length of the book, of course. Yeah. You really can't, for the most part, include everything. That's why they split the last two Harry Potters, well, uh, the last Harry Potter book, into two films. Or was that a cash grab? A little bit of both, let's be honest. I can tell you the fucking Hunger Games thing was absolutely a cash grab. They didn't. The Hunger Games is a hundred percent a cash grab. Yeah, the Hunger Games is an adaptation of Battle Royale, which is a fantastic book and a fantastic movie. Have you seen Battle yeah. Royale? Have we spoke about it? Uh, yes, we have. I still haven't seen it yet. Oh, right. Man, I, you need to watch I, that movie. We, I mentioned this earlier. My watch list on IMDb is 250 films long. I am very behind on films that I should have been watching. Is there any way you could prioritise <laughs> I can do, yeah. I think it just looks... Um, or looks... <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing movie. I love it. Um, yeah. Don't be... Don't ever be led... Um, let, uh, put off by the fact that a movie has subtitles you are able to read and you are able to watch movies and there is no reason why it should be difficult to do both at the same time mm. I think I think a lot of people just feel like it's kind of effort to watch a movie with subtitles and I just that's not been the case in my experience every time I've done it yeah I I've, I sometimes find myself putting on subtitles for movies that are in English same yeah um because it, it's it doesn't bother me in the slightest, and yeah. sometimes it's nice to be able to catch uh, certain things that are being said that I might you know maybe miss because I'm yeah. not paying a hundred percent attention. Um, what do you think is like you know how the brothers Grimm had their own version mm-hmm. of Little Red Riding Hood and stuff like yeah. that? What do you think is your favorite or maybe the best example of a director being inspired by an older work and making their own thing out of it if you know what i mean like mm-hmm. to i'll give mine straight up which is yeah, go for it. sort yeah. of a low-key shout i think but um i saw the event horizon a while ago and thought it okay. was an absolutely garbage movie yeah. um a lot of things in it they did pretty well but i found that danny boyle took every element of what they did well in event horizon and built on it to make a much better movie in Sunshine, which yeah. I, I think is a criminally underrated movie. I think that movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, and it's basically just a really good Event Horizon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, And it wouldn't have been made without Event Horizon, but that's what yeah. it is, and it, it, it's just very good. The, the techniques used in that and the way the mood shifts at a certain point and stuff like that I, I like I, yeah. without ruining too much of it it's really a movie that you need to see to understand mm-hmm. but it's great and um, it's pretty much my favourite example of someone just being like yeah this is good but this is better and then making their own thing out of yeah. it 
Yeah. I think, uh, and this is the first thing that kind of stood out to me um, in my mind. And I kind of have this, I have this shameless kind of love for Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, really? Um, I, I think it's a really enjoyable uh, movie. I think it's a really enjoyable, it's a, a bit different. And it's a different way of uh, telling the story That's the without Claire actually. Danes one. Uh, no, the Leonardo DiCaprio and. And Claire Danes. Is it Claire Danes? Yeah, it is. Was it really? Yeah. Huh. She, I think she was like seventeen when they filmed it as well. Yeah, yeah, they were they were both super young, but so the um. So Baz Luhrmann, the director, went to the studio and said, "I want to make remake Romeo and Juliet," and they went. Uh, okay, why? And he went because I want to do it with all of the original, like word wording, all of the original language from Shakespeare. And I went, uh, okay, but why? And he went because it's going to be in the modern day. And they went, no, it won't work. <laughs> they went. He went. He was like, but when they reference their swords, they're going to actually have guns, uh, and when that, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And they were like, no. Do it in the modern day. Do them talking normally. Nobody will watch it talking Shakespeare. It won't work. Yeah, because no one's ever done. A modern yeah, exactly. Romeo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Baz Luhrmann was like, "No, I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong." He called up Leonardo DiCaprio. Leo was like shooting something else in Australia at the time, so Baz Luhrmann flew out to Australia, hired a couple of extras, and took a camcorder out, just like a cheap. $200 camcorder gave DiCaprio the lines filmed this short little scene with him and these extras that he just picked up for like the day to film yeah. with took it back to them and they were like oh yeah shit it works didn't it and he was like yeah it does uh, and and then they made it and it's great that's pretty great, cool that's a great little film but that's that's one of my favourite stories about the fact that you know the studios are almost you know not always right yeah, um, and sometimes things like that just have to be made. Yeah, have to I, be done. I quite know? like that movie. I don't feel like the whole swords thing worked. I know that like the brand of gun is yeah. sword. Yeah. Um, I I liked the ecstasy pill with the love heart on it. I thought that was a neat little. Yeah, thing. yeah. But um, like I I don't think that it's um I don't know. I I think like it's fine and it's mm -hmm. like neat that they did that, but I don't think it had the effect it was supposed to yeah. if you know what I mean I, I enjoyed it as a film and it's like the first like I said the first thing that popped into my head yeah um, I know well thing. like <laughs> I picked Sunshine I don't think Sunshine yeah. is like a no movie. yeah yeah no I know what you the mean pinnacle. Um, there's also um, I wanted to give a special shout out to yeah. um, my buddy Andrew Garfield um, mm -hmm. for his movie um, Never Let Me Go with Kerry Mulligan, which is a an adaptation of the Kazuo Ishiguro book. Okay. Um, it's really good. Uh, to, I don't know why I said Andrew Garfield is my buddy. I really think that yeah. he is honestly the most overrated actor in the world. <laughs> like I, I don't know what it is. I just he does the same expressions in every, and I know other actors do that, right? Mm. But say you say someone like um. Christian Bale, for example, or Hugh Jackman. These are guys who have proven themselves in movies yeah. to a point where they can pick what roles they want. Andrew uh -huh. Garfield hasn't. He's no. been the same guy in every movie he's in. 
Um, like, I think Boy A is, like, a really cool movie or whatever, but he's still just playing a dumb teenager. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever, irrelevant. Um, Never Let Me Go is great because he's kind of, like, the dumb thing is perfect for that role anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's a great, great, great movie that I think everyone should watch. It's also got Donald Gleeson in it. Oh, really? And Keira Knightley. Okay. Great, great movie. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's an adaptation yeah. of a book, so. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, there's there's actually tons of adaptations of books, yeah. and uh, like you know, there's there's literally millions of them. I think that, and uh, one thing that I really like is that you can email Stephen King, um, and say like, say you're a student and you need a script or you need, you know, something like that. You can email Stephen King or his agent or whoever deals with it, but you can pay them a dollar to license and to have the ability to use any of his short stories wow. uh, to make them and use them in your film. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, you just pay like a dollar because he's like, well, you know, why shouldn't students be able to make, have decent scripts? Plus he's written like 500,000. Oh, so, yeah, so many. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's literally, at this point, he's written so many, he's giving them away. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he's um uh it, it's really cool to hate on him and stuff, but like you have got to respect like the fucking amount of high quality things he has produced. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's actually awesome. Stephen King is kind of the man. Yeah. In a way. But in a way, aren't we all the man? We all are the man. We all are the men. And and some of you women. Do many women actually even watch this? I don't think so. No. No, neither do I somehow. <laughs> I know, actually, I, I do know of at least two that do. So, my Good mom Lord. and <laughs> can't even say my mum. My mum has no idea about this. Oh really? What uh, does she not think you're doing in your room? She has no idea. I don't live with them at the moment, so it's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Do you? Who do you think? Who Who would you like to play you in an adaptation of your life? Oh my god, someone not as boring as me. Um, <laughs> I genuinely have no idea. Who, who bears even a slight resemblance to me? Uh, <laughs> well, on your um, driving license photo, um, it's the Finchmeister from American Pie. Oh uh, yeah, it really is. Yeah, He could definitely play... If, if there was a biopic made that was called The Awkward Teenage Years, <laughs> and it included all of my awkward teenage years... Then it's definitely whoever plays um, the Shermanator. That's what it, I actually. Yeah, yep, Shermanator. Yeah, Finch is yep. Unfortunately, so unless he's grown a ginger beard and gained a bit of weight, um, like muscle-wise, uh, he could play me later on in life as well. We you never know. I think Conor McGregor would play me. Um, yeah. I just feel like my peak physical condition and <laughs> like so, my sort of just raw upper body strength. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tied in with my sort of hybrid style um, fighting techniques. Yes. I just think that Conor McGregor probably is the closest resemblance to me, especially now that he's in the higher weight division. <laughs> I'd say I think he would do a good job of portraying me. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Kick a few heads in, stuff like that, you know. Yeah, like he's not yeah. quite as menacing um, or as sort of attractive as I am. 
I don't think he's got that sort of wholesale accessibility like I do for the mainstream. Yeah. Um, but like, I I think I'd give him a shot, and I think he would do all right. I'd say. Yeah. I, I think I I think it'd be moderately convincing for Hollywood anyway. Yeah, I think uh, actually on reflection, I think um, Ben Affleck could do a good a good white boy with yeah. a ginger beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think he'd do an alright job. Yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Shout out to Ben Affleck. Yeah, shout out to Ben Affleck. He's white, so he's Ben Affleck. That's true. <laughs> Poor Ben Affleck. Indeed. I, th- I think, uh, and on that note... Yeah, oh no, this is over, probably. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. I don't think I'm going to be calling this creepy fairy tales. No, no, we went, we went ever so slightly off topic. So that was our episode on fairy tales and also like half the episode was not about fairy tales at all but i hope you guys enjoyed the episode uh we opened with a song called ghost riders in the sky which was a cover of a johnny cash song by a band called outlaws and we're ending it with a song called enter sandman by motorhead which is a cover of the metallica version i use covers as every song in the episode because we sort of talked about how hollywood is rehashing things and um, the creepy fairy tale thing was kind of a theme about how things are built on other stories that already exist. So it felt appropriate to use covers, and all the covers that I did use have some sort of fairy tale elements to them. Enter Sandman is about the Sandman, which is a folkloric sort of villain who visits you in your sleep. Uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky is about some scary cowboys that ride through the sky and stuff like that. And um, Lullaby by Editors slash The Cure um, is just a fucked up song. I would really love to know what you all thought of that song when you listen to it. Because I have a feeling it would freak a lot of people out. But uh, that was the episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please do leave a like. If you're enjoying what we're doing with the Midnight Hour, leave a like. Leave a nice comment. Leave me money. Nah, not really. Um, but yeah, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys in two weeks. I've been Elden Nero. Fuck this.
It's just the grease under your bed And your closet in your head 